Welcome to the WWE Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. And today, instead of talking about the wonderful world of movies, we're going to be talking about the wonderful world of professional wrestling, because we are in the middle of WrestleMania season, as my camera goes cuckoo. Uh, (laughs) So, Chad, talk to me about the wonderful, crazy, chaotic madness that happened in Montreal. Uh, not that not that crazy chaos that occurred in Montreal 20 years ago. No, 20, 24 years ago. No. Well, I mean, when when you say that, um, everybody's going to want to jump to uh, the whole main event angle with uh, Sami Zayn. But but uh, the show overall was pretty good. Um, the the two chamber matches. I watched them both, uh, but I was doing stuff between both of them. But I like what I saw from both. Uh, the uh, the Judgment Day Edge thing, you know, it happened. It set up more angles, whatever with Lashley and Lesnar. And yeah, it's it's really all comes down to how you feel about this show. Really comes down to did you enjoy what happened at the end of the show? Yeah, I mean, that's going to sell you on the pay-per-view as a whole, right? Whether you right. enjoyed the pay-per-view or not depends on whether you like that booking at the end or not. However, um, as we covered on our Rumble Reaction podcast, none of neither one of us believe they were turning the WrestleMania main event into a triple threat. And none, neither one of us believe that they were going to put Sammy over in any kind of meaningful way. Um And so I think that if you entered with the expectations of Sammy coming into Montreal and pulling off the unbelievable upset and WrestleMania plans getting changed, because remember, they did do um, promos with both um, promos, both with Rome, with uh, Paul Heyman and Cody, and then with Sammy and and Cody. So they did kind of at least give you the impression that they might go down that road. But uh, for me, my enjoyment of this show just comes down to the to the chamber matches themselves, how they were booked, where they were placed in the on the card. Um, You know, me and you were both old enough to remember when chamber matches were exclusively only for determining a number one contender for whoever the Royal Rumble winner didn't pick or or they were for the championship itself. Um, it's like to see it used to determine the U S championship just goes to a point that you've been bringing up for a while now, which is that trips is placing importance on that title where it has not had the importance prior. And yes, the women's match was much more your standard. Who's going to co-main event right WrestleMania on the women's side, but it too had some genuine twists and turns and good angles and, and stuff. So the two chamber matches really sold this pay-per-view for me because I pretty much knew what was coming at the end. It was a matter of how do we get there? And and to be fair, I wasn't expecting two ref bumps. I was just expecting one. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, there there are some questionable things that happen in in that. And I I know we'll just get to the to the main event when we get to it. Uh, but yeah, uh, the I don't know I don't. I'm glad the chamber matches were good. And I think I think that that like solidifies the show as like a good show. Um but yeah, I did like they they came, people talk about certain spots and there were certain angles that were set up. But the driver of the show is, you know, that big Mac truck uh called the Bloodline and Sami Zayn. Well, especially with that crowd, which was almost a Philadelphia ECU, uh, a Philadelphia ECW crowd. Um, they were hot the entire night. They were rowdy. They were loud. Um, and that wasn't just for the main event. That was for the the ending of the, of the pay-per-view as well. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to me from that standpoint as to how much a crowd can aid a match in a pay-per-view. And and I think this is a really good example of what a live hot crowd that's not that's not in the business of doing what the crowd the night after WrestleMania typically does, which is take the show hostage. It aids the show. And I think this was a good case of that. 
and I think it definitely helped the show overall. Agree. I th- I I think that crowd is what makes the whole decision at the end of the night. Um, you know, depends on how you feel about it. It it, it puts that whole decision in question. But we'll get to that shortly. Indeed. So let's start off where they started off with the Raw Women's Champion, the the Raw Women's Elimination Chamber match to determine the number one contender to face Bianca Belair at WrestleMania 39. Your thoughts, sir, on that and uh, where we where we go from there? Well, before we do that, who did you think was going to win this? You know who I thought was going to win, and you know that I shared I shed tears of disappointment and disbelief when she was eliminated early. Okay, I know, I know you and Liv. You know, there, there's a thing. I get that, but looking at okay, that whoever won that got to face Bianca. Bianca's your top two biggest face on the Raw side. And when you get to Mania, will have held the championship for 364 days. Right. So my thinking was it's pro it, it should it probably should be a heel, but it's got to be I, I, if it's not a, if it's not a heel, it's got to be like either somebody young that can use the push uh, and like this would like kind of solidify them or um, just somebody that can work with Bianca and have a good match. So I was really thinking. um uh, Raquel was like my my it just kind of stuck in my head because, you know, she has that look. And they gave her a really and, good push in the, in the Rumble match itself last last month. Right. And, and you know, she's young and, she, and Triple H really likes her. So she was she was kind of my pick. And then she got eliminated. And I was like, oh, I don't know what the hell they're going to do. And so all that to say going into the match, um, I thought I thought they did it really well. Like, um. I'm looking at the results here and, you know, your favorite, she was eliminated second, but it was like a double team elimination. I mean, you can't get put out much stronger than that. Same with Raquel, another double team um, elimination. So, you know, they, they had the people that they wanted to keep strong. They kept them strong. They, uh, they actually, you know, kind of reinvented Carmella again. And she's more, I can take her more serious as I'm literally watching her right now, I'm behind on actual raw. Yeah. I, I, so, did, I didn't know about the pregnancy thing. I didn't either. I didn't know that. until. I, I mean, uh, I knew that she had been out for a close to six to eight, uh, six, to eight months. I thought there had been an injury because normally they don't go off of television immediately when there's a pregnancy. Um, but I did not know about the pregnancy deal. Yeah. I, I, I just thought she was just kind of not on TV. And then when she came back, I was like, okay, well they brought her back. Uh, I mean, I knew she wasn't going anywhere, but they brought her back. But uh, I still haven't read exactly what happened, but I did see the headlines. I'm like, oh, that makes that makes sense. And man, that sucks, especially with your husband on the road. Right, right. That that's brutal. But uh, um, they need. I mean, they need. Uh, they need strong heels, and you know, before and she, she left, she was. Be- pretty- and she works best in a heel mode. Right, but she was she was a heel before she left, but it was. You know, she was that easy to beat heel, and now she's she's like, um, she's like a tough out heel. Like she's giving Oscar a match right now, and I, I I buy it, whereas I didn't buy it before she left. So I think they did a good job of like establishing contenders for whoever's going to be champion going forward on both brands and having an entertaining match. And I guess at the end of the day, I mean Oscar Oscar literally is the best of the people that were in there. So. And she's never really had any kind of feud with Bianca. So it, it's a new way to go. And she's in a new direction. She has a new direction as a character. So I, I think they went for the best possible matchup. I don't know if she should beat Bianca outside of the fact that Bianca's had it for a year. But uh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, For me, I'm going to go ahead and say that, like, in my head, the way that they were going to book this, they were going to put the final two from the Rumble as the final two in this match because those were the two best options for a match against Bianca. 
Um, you brought back Asuka and you put her in the final three on the edge of that mat at the end of the Rumble match. And Liv, you know, had the year of her life last year and came within an eyelash of of going the entire distance in the Rumble match before. Um, neither one of these ladies have had what you would call memorable championship runs when they've had the belt under the previous administration. Um, and both are looking for redemption. Um, and so I thought both of those angles could be a uh, really good place. Uh, I didn't think they were ready to, to elevate anybody from NXT to that, to that place. Um, so for me, if it wasn't going to be live, it was going to be Oscar. And, you know, because that's, they've put her in that place against Charlotte at mania in new Orleans. Like she's been on the forefront of big matches in the past, the, triangle ladder match with her and and Becky and Charlotte when Becky and Charlotte were the hottest things in women's wrestling. Like they've trusted her. They've put her in big spots before. Her name will draw and and I think that she'll be a good challenge. Because like you said, we're not burned out on seeing Bianca versus Asuka the way we're maybe burned out on seeing, you know, Bianca versus Becky or Bianca versus Alexa. You know? It's a compelling matchup. It's something you don't see very often. As far as the match itself, like the the chamber match itself, I thought they did a really good job in the sequencing of who they brought out, when they brought them out, and in terms of the eliminations. I thought they did a really good job and make, like you said, taking care of your your people, making sure that everybody stays looking strong, and making sure that you're setting up things for for the for the road to WrestleMania. Yeah, and. I mean, that's, that there's there's nothing more you can really ask for that kind of match. I mean, because the, by the nature of it, everybody's going to get beat except for one person. So how you arrange that is very important. And that, they did that one really well. Well, the other thing, too, is they use the structure well. Like, they, they use the structure for some really good spots. Um, a good example of that is Carmella coming in and running in, trying to shelter herself inside of a pod in order to prevent being being beaten up like they use uh live live being thrust into the the chain metal and being choked um by natalie natalia i believe um they they did some really good spots in both matches with that included the chamber and made the chamber a character in the match and and that's something i always look for whether it you know it happens more frequently with Hell in a Cell matches, because we're all just accustomed to, you know, we, we now pre-cut the holes in the cage now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a standard operating procedure when you're in a Hell in a Cell match. I'm glad that they're incorporating it more and more into the Elimination Chamber, because I, I think that it's useful. Yeah, the, you have to you have to use the structure. It is there. So, But that's part of the that's kind of thing with the Elimination Chamber, is that You've got to keep being innovative with that, but there's, you know, there's only so much you can do with that, with that thing. So, for them to find the few new ways they can, I, I, it it makes it enhances the match. I mean, I'm still waiting for them to bring back the old ECW Elimination Chamber. Dude, uh, oh, oh yeah, I remember that. I forgot about that. The, Man. the one Elimination Chamber match that involved the ECW, where they had all of the weapons in the elimination chain like hanging in between the pods yeah i I completely forgot about that but yeah you're right because that that adds a different element to it because again the cage is locked so you don't have to go outside of the ring to get your get your stuff it'll all just be right there and it's no disqualification anyway so you know and that gives you some creative things creative tools to play with yeah i don't know if we'll I mean, I guess if they want to freshen it up, they can do that. I don't know if that's if we're going to get that anytime soon. Um, but overall, I'd say it was a, a, a good way to start the show, um, you know, especially with that crowd, especially with uh, with the Canadians or in the forefront between uh, you had Natalia in this match with Edge. And then you, of course, had Sammy and Kevin Owens. So you, you really got the most out of that juice of the Canadian wrestlers. You were right. Yes, you are. And, and, not to mention, they led the night off by referencing the Montreal Screwjob. 
Did they mention that Austin? Because I, I didn't really have the sound on. Michael Cole literally started the pay-per-view by talking about the very first time that they emanated from Montreal for a pay-per-view was November 1997. And in Michael Cole's words, we all know what kind of history occurred here on that night. Of course he did. And then, well, and then they kept wrenching it throughout the show about the possibility of Montreal redeeming itself and becoming a bright spot in WWF WWE history and erasing the bad juju from that night. <laughs> so, like, that's what I enjoyed about it is because, like, you know, Vince would never do something like that. But to, like, actually culturally reference a thing that is deeply, you know, deeply soaked in your own history and culture as a company and is this big momentous moment um i'd argue that the montreal screw up a job is as big of a deal for that time period in wwf history as the austin 316 promo um and so to, to actually reference it and use it i think is something that's that's really awesome agree all right uh so was what was the next match was it the the tag team match or what? Nope. It's Lashley. Oh, yes. The spot best. How could I forget the seven minute spot best? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not seven minutes. Four minutes and 45 seconds. Ah, I was off. Um, well, they're going to do the same thing in a few weeks with Omos now. So, um, I mean, good for Brock. I mean, good for Brock that Brock has to work for like five minutes and get paid millions of dollars. And he gets to go home to Sable, who's apparently still holding up fairly well after that all that plastic surgery really worked. And so, like, you know, kudos to her surgeon because, you know, 20 years later, she's holding up. But, like, way to go, man. Good life. Work for five minutes. Go home to your hot wife. Get paid. Stay on the farm. You know, travel the world. It's a good deal. I mean, it's a good gig if you can get it. I mean, you know, apparently he gave a really good promo tonight. Uh, we're, you know, we're so used to for years and years, we did the Paul Heyman thing. It's just taking some time. Cause you remember there was that feud with Laurinaitis back in the day with Brock, where Brock was cutting his own promos and it was completely cringeworthy. Yeah. He's gotten so much better at it now. Cause he's had to do it for a lot longer. Um, he keeps them short. Um, but typically, but he does, he has become a, a more effective guy on the mic. What did you make? of the low blow to end it because to me the way that you set this up was the end of like a feud that kick indicated that there would be a rematch of some kind right and then it gets switched around so when i when i saw the ending i I automatically said okay so this was just to get us to wrestlemania and they wanted to get us to wrestlemania without either one of them getting beat so so they did this finish. My my thing with the finish is that it really, really makes Lashley come off as strong because the whole thing with the hurt lock is nobody can break it. And you put him in there with Brock and Brock is the one that breaks everything. And he couldn't break it and he had to resort to what he did to get out. So really so it puts Lashley up uh, that finish kind of puts Lashley over at least to move over real strong. But then Lashley I mean then Lesnar proceeds to like, you know, F5 in the hell to give the crowd what they want. But it just seemed like, okay, we're getting, we're going to Mania and the Hurt Business are probably going to come back together and they're going to beat the hell out of Lesnar and Lashley's going to win at last. But that's not what we're doing. And I don't know why. Well, if you believe the dirt sheets is because Vince decided this is what we needed to do. Um, or highly suggested, apparently, that they need to go with giving Omos a big stage moment, which I don't really think Omos has done anything in his time in WWE to justify that. Uh, but then again, there aren't a lot of natural feuds for Brock, question mark. Um, like Brock versus Gunther works. It's huge. It's a match people want to see. But you haven't set the pieces and parts up for that. Um, you know, uh, some uh, Brock versus Logan Paul doesn't work. That they're just their styles. That that's not going to be a, a a good thing. And also, he needs to work with people. And Ben and Brock is the 
isn't the guy who's putting in the time at the performance center to work through matches all the time. Um, so like the next, the, the thing was, was this Lashley thing. This is what they had set up with having Lashley throw him out at the rumble. It's what they set up with Lashley having, uh, the upper hand on him at the elimination chamber. And it's what they've been doing with teasing the return of the hurt business. Um, but to go the almost route just seems like a, a bit of a swerve that doesn't make creative story sense when everything else this man has been doing for the last six months makes complete and total story sense. So one, uh, whatever dirt sheet came up with this whole, that they, that they mentioned he who shall not be named. Um, they need to be drug out into the street and shot. Uh, as far as narrative sense, you're, you're completely right. Unless uh, this match ends with, again, the Hurt Business coming together, led by Bobby Lashley, taking out Brock Lesnar. And then you see that it was a long con, and that works. Or you could just do the WrestleMania 19 thing where, like, there's a backstage incident and Omos can't perform, and so they throw Bobby Lashley in there last minute. Well, I haven't got to this part in Raw yet, but apparently... uh. Bobby references Bray, I guess. So that that thing's definitely happening. I don't see Bobby working twice. No, and uh, but again, that's Bray is an odd fit because you have nothing for him to do on that show. Like you don't have a natural feud for him to slide into. So no, you, and, and that's a. Well, I mean, we we'll, we can talk about Bray and Bobby later in depth, but that's the thing that worries me is you know Bray is what Bray is and it tends to suck the wind out of like regular wrestler sales. They haven't figured out a, a happy medium like they did with the undertaker. So that's my concern with Bray. Well, because takers gimmick is just a gimmick in the sense that he's the dead man. He's the phenom. He's the American badass. Like there, there are multiple facets to that character, but they all revolve just around him being this invincible powerful being with bray it's there's so much extra there whether it be the uncle howdy of it all whether it be the firefly funhouse of it all whether it be the fiend of it all whether it be um you know the the uh the pitch black match whether it be the hell in a cell match all dressed in red all all, all dressed in red light like there's so much extra to Bray in his presentation style that was never there with Taker. The most Taker would do is, you know, wear, wear makeup that made him look very, very pale so that his purple gloves stood out. Or, you know, <laughs> hanging Big Boss Man from the Hell in a Cell match that they erased from his. Like, that's that's about as weird and kooky as Taker ever got. That That wasn't a Hell in a Cell match. That was like a... A dog pound match. No, wasn't no, it? no, no, sir. You are thinking about the absolutely wonderful, delightful, crazy and insane Kennel from Hell match at Unforgiven 1999. Okay. The Kennel from Hell match was a match that was built on a feud in which the big boss man allegedly killed Al Snow's dog and videotaped himself pissing <laughs> on the grave of said dog. And so in Al Snow's deranged mind, he conceived of a match in which there would be a steel cage. Then there would be Rottweilers around the steel cage. And then they would put the hell in a cell on top of that so that you had to escape both these, both cells in order to win the match. I I knew, I I knew there were dogs and I knew it was a hell in a cell on top of a steel cage. I just completely forgot I knew, and I knew Bossman was involved, but I completely forgot who the other person was. Al Snow and Pepper. That's right, man. That's long ass time ago. Yeah. I won't say how long because that's the year I graduated high school. Yes, Th- thank you for reminding both of us how old we are. Um, <laughs> oh, no, 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 that was you. You ha- you didn't have to say the year. That was you. But that, but like that, uh, that match always sticks out in my mind because I always like I didn't see it. Like right, I heard descriptions of it and read things on the internet about it after it happened because I didn't have pay-per-view. And this was back in the days where, you know, shortly before that, our ability to like listen to the pay-per-views 
had ended because they put them all on digital cable at the time. So I had to read about the descriptions. Well, when I got the network and I was able to go back and watch things, I was really excited to rewatch that match. And then I watched the match and the crowd dies. Like there's no crowd involvement at all. The crowd is like, what the hell are we watching? And then like the pit bulls that they bring out from, I guess the local animal clinic or whatever, they aren't rabid. They don't really bark. <laughs> and like Boston man has to like basically physically walk up to the dogs and present his arm to them for them to even get a little bit rowdy and, and snap at it. It's not great at all. Hence the reason why it has never been done again. Yeah, that's a good reason. Well, that into it kind of is taboo to accuse, have one of your wrestlers accuse another wrestler of killing his dog and then violating his grave. I mean, come on. We know this company. That's not the worst thing they've done. No, Katie, Katie Vick is up there. But, uh, <laughs> but, but peeing on a dog's grave with a guy who runs around with a mannequin head and his entrance music begins with the words, what does everybody want, is also very up there. I forgot he used to say that too. Yes, the national treasure that is Al Snow. But back Yes he is. But back to this back to this 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 chamber this uh Bobby Lashley versus Bray Wyatt match. Um yes, it was a Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania fifteen. They circum they circumvented that later and just rectified it and called it a steel cage match. But when it was promoted at WrestleMania fifteen, it was a Hell in a Cell match and Taker ended up um you know, hanging boss man from the cell. But that's the kind of kookiness, like this human quote unquote human sacrifices were like the longest creepy segments Taker ever did, right? Like yeah. there wasn't this presentation issue. Like it was Bray's idea to do the red light in the red hell in a cell cage against Seth Rollins when he was with the fiend. It was Bray who was who wanted to do something really weird and different. And WWE saw an opera, you know, was presented with an opportunity to make a million bucks from the Pepsi corporation to promote their Mountain Dew product. And, um, and so he was in charge of coming up with a creative way to do that. And so that the pitch black match is what he came up with. Like the Randy Orton, we mentioned last time, the Randy Orton, uh, Bray Wyatt match at WrestleMania 33, where the, the crazy bug images flash on the map. Like oh, there's there's a off the wall presentation to his wrestling style that pretty mu- that there's no one on the roster that's going to work with that because it distracts from what is actually going on in the ring. Whereas with Taker, Taker was all business when he got in. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think there's a way to do it, but they haven't figured it out. And it's concerning that it's been this long and they haven't figured it out. So I I don't know. I don't have high hopes. I mean, I don't either, but I, I still think Omos versus Lesnar doesn't work nearly as well for me as Bobby versus Brock one more time. Uh for to the end all time. Um would be would would be the play there. But you know that I mean, but that's cause that's cause Omos can't work. I mean, Bray can at least do stuff. It's just everything around him makes that stuff difficult to sell, but he can work. Omos, he can't. Omos is the African-American version of the Great Kali. Ooh, might not be wrong. Very tall, very big, but very stiff. Yeah, might not be wrong. And Omos works the same way Viscera worked back in the day, or the same way that that Kali could have worked, is... um, it's that big intimidating presence as a bodyguard or an enforcer, not necessarily as the lead doll, you know? Um, even Dave Batista started out as Deacon Batista, you know? Um, <laughs> some, sometimes you're the, sometimes it's better to be the background guy and not be the forefront guy, but we all know that the, that the former administration loved its big men. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. And hopefully. You know, he's relegated to being the, you know, the muscle of the Hurt business going forward. I mean, that's that's the role he played effectively for AJ Styles for over a year. So, I mean, if, if you find a niche and you it works for you, it can keep you in that company for a very long time. Just ask Kofi Kingston. Again, but I, I, to be fair to Kofi, he can work. 
Oh, yes. But Kofi also has allowed himself to get put into gimmicks and just has been happy to stick around the mid-card area and the tag team area and just continue to work and, like, work efficiently. So um, the tag team match was next, I believe. Um, yes. Really, really love this, this entrance by Beth and Eminem Edge. That's the thing that sticks out from this match to me the most. Um, and just the adoration that the native son had for his home country. Um, that, you know, and in, and there are some things involved with the finish that we'll get to in a second. But uh, I really loved the entrance and love that that crowd showed to Beth and to uh, Adam. Yeah. So I didn't see the beginning of this match. So I missed all that. Um, because <laughs> I had to do something and I, I chose to do it in the middle of Bobby and Brock, figuring I would miss that entire match and come back for everything else. But since that match only took four minutes, I missed the first half of this match. Uh, so I, I wish I could have seen the, you know, all that fanfare live, but it is what it is. The match itself, um, you know, with all the people involved, it's it's hard to be a a bad match. It's like, I would say it's a, a decent match of what I saw. Um... It really came down to wanting to see Beth and Rhea and the way they left it. It made me want to see more of Beth and Rhea, but it looks like we're not getting that for a while. But that's really what I want. That's out of everything we've gotten out of this. That's what I want. I don't want more Edge and Finn Balor. I'm getting more Edge and Finn Balor. I want Beth Rhea. That's what I want out of this match. I mean, you know, that's a that's a good takeaway. I think what we established is that Beth and and Rhea work really well together, that they complement each other's styles very well, and they can take the brutality and physicality of what they do to another level. Um, whereas Finn versus Edge just feels like Edge wrestling a 15-year-year younger version of himself. Um, maybe, maybe bringing back the demon character um, rectifies that some as far as, like, bringing some interest to the match from a presentation standpoint. But, like, just, I don't see where, like, this feud with the, with the, the feud with the Judgment Day should be over at this point. Yes. But the problem is, what do you do with the Judgment Day after they're done with Edge? Um, well, if it were me, they would beat Edge, and then, uh, since we have We'll probably have a face champion after that. Let let Balor have a run at the title for like at least a month or two. Give him something to do. Elevate that group. And then from there, I don't know what the hell you do. Well, and that's all well and good, but but they have repeatedly given Finn close calls, but since the injury have never given him the belt. And so I don't know how they think of him or how they view him in that context, but you're right. If it were, you know, the, it was the mystery of darkness. Taker would constantly go after the WWF championship while he was leading the ministry. And the ministry was for the most part, while you can point out people like JBL who would go on, you know, Bradshaw who would go on to, to win world heavyweight championships, or you can point to people, um, you know, like Viscera or uh, Midian, who would go on to to win European championships or intercontinental championships. Um, it, it was mostly a mid car, a group of mid carters. Um, Rhea is not a mid carter. Damian Priest is not a mid carter. Um, Finn's not a mid card. They all may be in the mid card. Some of them may be in the mid card right now, but they all have the potential to be headlining stars. So. Um, giving them a headlining star feud would, I think, be beneficial to them and to their group if, again, you want to push them like that going forward. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Um, and Edge even said it when he came back one of the times that the whole point of the group was to elevate them, and they have been elevated. But they should be elevated, you know, even further. And I hope that's what's going to happen after this whole Finn Balor thing. I mean, this whole Edge thing is over with. Yeah, at some point you have to move past your creator. Either right. your creator has to be successful in destroying you as a group, or you have to overcome your creator. That's that's those are the only two options for how to re uh, how to uh, resolve that storyline. But the ending to this was just like a perfect, you know, 
um, blow off because, yeah, sure, Edge won, but it was in a chaotic tag match. I mean, and I think you want, because of the way this thing has gone, in storyline, they've beaten Edge and put him out twice to have him win seems like the, the correct payoff. But it didn't need to be in the singles match. This could have been it. Yeah, I would agree. But then again, you run into the issue. You want to have Edge. You want to have Edge on your WrestleMania show. Um, who do you put Edge with? And again, that's that's kind of the thing. Is where does he fit on the Mania card? If you take this feud away from him now, um, and that that's kind of the the interesting and intriguing thing to me is is why they they thought that Finn versus Edge in a singles match again would be a better fit on the WrestleMania card than whatever other thing you could put Edge with. I mean, I, as you put it that way, I think that's the answer. The answer is they want Edge on the card. They don't really have any other place to put him, so let's do this Judgment Day thing one more time. Yeah, and, and that does actually make it a stronger statement if Finn gets the win going over at Mania. Yeah, I guess he kind I mean, now I guess he kind of has to win. Because, again... You got a lot of young kids who don't have a lot of winning experience at Mania. Like, you're putting together a list of folks who don't have the greatest records at WrestleMania. Not that that actually means anything. I mean, you know, the big show was, you know, had one of the worst winning percentages <laughs> of guys at, in, with, at, in WrestleManias with a, minimum, with a minimum of five appearances. Like, and he's still a Hall of Famer. So it's, it's not like it, it means everything, but when you contrast it, like, the people who go over at Manias are the people who are the biggest names and the biggest faces in the industry at that moment. Going over or not going over at that at a Mania, it goes to or points to what the company was doing with you at the time, where your place in the company was at the time, and where they saw you going after that. Now they utilized you after that. And so it's a very big deal, and we've got a number of young wrestlers who have been, uh, you know been a part of this company since WrestleMania 30, and they're coming up on their ten their tenth WrestleMania, and they don't have a great WrestleMania record. Uh, the record is, I mean, wins and losses don't matter here. So the record, unless they want to change it, the record doesn't matter. There was only one WrestleMania record that mattered, and they screwed it up. So you know, less less there there should be a plaque. Somewhere on the grounds of the Caesar Superdome, memorializing the fact that this is the place where the Undertaker's streak died. Yeah, it's something because it was such a dumb decision, such a dumb one. All right, so let's move on to our next match on the card, which was the U.S. Championship Chamber match. Right. Thoughts, feelings, uh, ideas about what they did and why they did it. Um. Again. Uh. By the nature of this match, everybody's going to get beat except for one person. So uh, I kind of figured they wanted Theory to win. But but now you've got four other guys that you, well, let's say, wait, one, four. See, I was, I was, five of the guys. I was, I was, I think, I was of the opposite mind. I thought they were going to take it off of Theory. I mean, they could have, I figured if they were going to take it off him, they were going to give it to somebody new. But I didn't think they were going to do that yet. I think they really like Austin Theory. They they know he's not ready for the big title, but they can give him this title that they're elevating. So it serves two masters at one time. Um, and then you have Seth Rollins in there. I, I knew he wasn't going to win. And he's and out of everyone, he's the he's the most over in the match. He's the one that needs protecting the least. So then at that point, it's about how do you feel about the other four guys in here? And most of them, I mean... Matez has been on the main roster the longest, I think, out of these guys, uh, pushing three years. But Priest has been here almost two. Uh, but then you have Gargano and Reed, and they think highly of them in varying ways. The fact that Johnny Gargano is in this match shows you how much they think of him and how much they trust him to work, uh, because that's why he's in there. But Bronson and Reed t- just called up the near he, spot of death. He did uh, between him and Matez. Um, they did big, big things, but you want to put Reed over the monster. And I, I, again, the best way to do that is, you know, have him be dominant and then be like, it takes everyone to get him out. So it takes everybody to get him out, but you get him out first. 
it's a win-win situation there. Take forever to get and to an elimination. A, yeah, I'm just looking at that. It, it's almost 20 minutes into the match before you get your first elimination. Uh, and then you get the next elimination and like you get two more eliminations like the next six minutes. Well, actually, you get three within like 10. So 20 minutes without a fall, almost 20 minutes without a fall. And then within the next five, you get three more. And then it's uh, uh, another four minutes until the match is over. But I thought not as I don't think they did as well of a job as putting everyone over in this one. But I don't think you're trying to put everyone over to the same degree as you were with the women. Uh, I thought they really want to put Reed over. Uh, thought they really want to put Theory over. And I, I think they wanted Montez Ford to have like a breakout performance and put him over as strong as they could, knowing that he's going to take the, the, the fall that he did. Uh, Rollins is fine. You don't need to do anything special with him, but the fact that he had a like one-on-one with theory afterwards, that's enough for him. And Gargano, again, he's there to be the, the, the worker guy until it's time for him to go. So with the people that have involved, I thought they did a good job. Um, but I don't really like I know it's I know it's next for theory, but what's next? Does what's next necessitate uh, does he need the belt for what's coming next for him? Yeah. And that was kind of my thing of why they, I thought they would take it off of him because you have natural folks in that match to to build off of. Take Rollins out of the equation. He was the one that they did blatant WrestleMania set up for in this match. We all knew where he was going. It, it, he wasn't going to win. Um, but the others, you could all you could make a case for any of the others winning the belt and being respectable with it. And so knowing that we were likely to get Cena versus uh, Cena versus Theory at Mania, but it wasn't confirmed at the time. But that was the projection by everybody. You, John Cena doesn't need the Universal Championship. He's not going to defend it. It's like. You don't, it's the same thing with Rock and Roman. Rock doesn't need another world title run. So, unless Roman doesn't have the belt, and the only way Roman loses the belt is by losing, which takes some of the press, the momentum off of a feud with The Rock, um, you know, you can't, you can't really do it. So, I thought they would, it, they would give the belt to someone else and that they would just still do Austin Theory versus Cena without the belt. And, that you they would push somebody else. Love Montez Ford nearly, you know, you know, selling the hell out of all of his spots, but especially the last one. Um, I'm very thankful that no one was injured in the death spa. Uh, that very easily could have gone very, very wrong with Austin Theory uh, and uh, Joey Gargano. Um, it's I, I love the pacing of this match. I love the high flying intensity of this match. I love the way that they booked the the individuals. Um, this was like the encapsulation of what a a a main event pre mania should do, which is, you know, there's no fast lane this year. There's no no Saudi show in the road to WrestleMania this year. So let's use this last pit stop on the road to WrestleMania to set up as much as we can while still providing fulfilling payoff. And I feel like this universal cha- this uh U.S. Championship main uh, cham- chamber match did that, and I did it. Think it did it very, very well. Um, so yeah, that, those are my thoughts on it. Yeah, that, uh, my only addition is uh, you mentioned, you know, Cena not needing the belt. You do know he's going to get the belt again, right? I mean, because he's, he's like he's. I think he's one behind Flair for all time. For for he's one behind Flair. For world championships, him and Flair are right. tied, I believe, for world championship. I, I think, I think he's, I think he's one behind. I, I could have, I just saw that list like last week. Uh, you might be right, but I think he's one. Behind. I thought they let him tie him, but not pass him toward the end of his run. Let me see. Because it's like the list in some, the list is Flair, Cena, Trips. That's the list, and Orton's like fourth on there with like fourteen. Uh, let's see. My point is, he's not going to win the Universal Champ, the uh, U.S. Championship, 
at Mania against Austin. Oh, yeah. That's not happening. Yeah, no, no. And so that the belt, as you said, you know, what does the belt mean for that match? It means absolutely nothing. So you're basically just doing a dead spot with him the same way you did last year when he wrestled Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, you know, it, it's it's a dead spot. It's some it's a place for him to go and have a big name match against a big name opponent. He is a young enough worker and a good enough worker and Cena will find time to make rehearsals happen and they'll put on a really good match and it'll be a nice 10 to 15 minute segment on, on the pay on, on night two of WrestleMania. And, you know, we'll all go away happy. And then Austin theory will, will go about trying to recapture the money in the bank in July. They could, they could. I can't find anything easy. Of course. Yeah, but I'm pretty, well, the list is, the list is Cena is, uh, is Flair Cena uh, trips. It's just a matter of who has 15, who has 16, and his, if anybody has 17. Uh, okay, well, I, I'll keep looking for this, but we can keep going on. I'll, I'll yell out a number if I find it. Yeah, I mean, that, I, what did you think of, this, the, of the spots in the U.S. championship match? Um... All I really remember is the Montez Ford one and how impressive slash insane, at least for me, that one was. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't nearly as disconcerting as the electric chair uh, moment. Um, the electric chair moment with uh, with Montez Ford or with a uh, with Theory Gorgano and uh, the kid, the guy from NXT. Um, that that was the bigger uh, spot for me because if it would have slipped, that would have been uh, that would have been a big big screw up there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. By the way, uh, you saw little Nate shaved his head. Little, little Nate. I didn't. Is he on Raw tonight? Uh, I did not, but I don't know. But he uh, he is now bald headed, so you would never know that he was once known as little Nate. Little Nate. <laughs> Uh, although that man, I haven't seen. although that man had uh, refed some of the biggest matches in history. Yes, yes, he did. Okay, so uh, yes, they are tied. Uh, so one and two, Ric Flair and John Cena was sixteen, uh, and actually at three and four, they are tied as well. It's Triple H and Randy Orton, and they have fourteen. That would make sense. So, oh damn it! So I. Uh, uh, I just read something. I seen it says he's too old. He thinks he's too old to uh, he's too old to beat um, Ric Flair's record. But if they want him to do it, he'll he can get one more. He's going to get one more before it's all over. We'll see. I mean, I know that would be Vince's parting gift to him if he wanted it, but I don't know that it's Cena. That's something that Cena wants. Um, again, it's just it's just a worldwide testament to. To the fact that the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era were not as deep as each other. Like, like the Attitude Era had a bunch of different guys who, who kept the title for a shorter period of time. Um, but many different people held it. Whereas in the Ruthless Aggression Era, it was basically Orton and Cena taking turns. With a little edge thrown in there every now and then. Alright, so that brings us to the payoff of the gang initiation that we got at the uh, Royal Rumble. We get the matchup. Sami Zayn who came out second um, and Roman Reigns in a very hostile environment in Montreal. Which I appreciate Michael Cole saying that it's the champion's prerogative if he comes out first or second and he lets Sami come out second because I hate, I hate when champions come up first, but just that little explanation and knowing where we're at, I'm like, okay, cool. This feels right. Yeah. Continuity is continuity of storytelling and just, just hinting at things. It doesn't always have to be blatant, but it's, it's, it's storytelling devices like that, that, that matter. The way that the entrances went and the way the crowd was going for Sammy and knowing that ratings have been really good and Sammy segments have done really good. And sales have been really good as far as advertising revenue. Right. And and that it's in Montreal. And Montreal is going absolutely nuts 
for Sammy. When I saw all of those things combined, when we got to that night, I was like, um, I think you kind of got to put it on Sammy for like, because this is a one in a once in a lifetime opportunity to do it right here, right now. But I also know that the whole thing with Cody is winning the title and what better way for him to win the title than to beat the dude that hasn't been touched in three years at the biggest stage of them all, especially coming back from where you came from and the way he left, not even being thought of as even close to a main event and to come back and to couldn't even get do that. Could not even get Stardust versus Gold Dust done. Like when he left, that was the WrestleMania match that he won and Vince laughed in his face and told him hell no. <laughs> so so it's something very poetic about Cody doing it that way. But you know, you can't some you can't control you can't sometimes you can't control when a good thing happens and when you get a perfect storm lightning in a bottle moment. And Montreal was that. So they had a choice. Either continue on course with the plan we already have or veer off the plan because you have this moment and you have to capitalize on it. They chose to stay on course. And I can't say that it's the wrong thing. I know myself personally, I struggle with what to do. And I think I would have done what they did and kept it on Cody for that story. But the fact that the fact that we got there on Saturday and it was even a question uh, it is a testament to the work they've done with this storyline with Sammy. They they had enough. They put they made a story so good it put the put pressure on them to change one of their longest running plans. Like it, it became an option. So it's kind of it's one of those win win situations in that you've done you've been so successful. This is the dilemma you're in, and you don't get this dilemma if you're not successful. But in getting there, one of your two moments is going to be undercut. And you you can just only hope that you don't undercut them both. Right. Um, for my money, they did an amazing job with the spots. They did a really amazing job with the in-ring dialogue. Having the wife there at ringside um, really worked for me and really sold the personal nature of this moment for Sammy. Um, like... I think he took too long to get to the ref bump, especially if you were going to have multiple ref bumps in the match. I think he waited too long to get to it. Um, ultimately, at the end, if you're going to go the route of putting Roman over, I would have rathered, I would have rathered Sammy end up getting screwed over by one of the other members of the bloodline and not necessarily just the way that it happened, you know? Um, but that, that's just me. Um, but I love that you kept the mystery and the intrigue of will it happen? Will it won't happen all the way throughout the match? Um, like there wasn't this prolonged period in the match where you thought, oh, you know, Vince were booking this, you know, Roman would have gone over in two minutes and, and squashed everybody's dreams. You know, they got a good couple of false finishes out of it. They got the two good ref bumps out of it. They got the good interaction with the wife out of it. And at the end, Sammy gets to walk away with that that the ovation that they get, that he got in Montreal the night before, and the the not the ovation he got on Saturday, and just knowing that he's a part of one of these epic storylines that's going to be talked about for a very long time in time in terms of the WrestleMania, you know, storylines. Yeah, he, he you can't take away that moment, and it's this is like one of a top at least five-ish story that they've done in like the last 20, 20 years. So uh, I get what you're saying about the ending, how you wish if, if, if you wish he would have gotten screwed by one of the bloodline. Uh, the only, the only thing I'll say about that is it depends on how this story finishes uh, because, you know, everybody's saying that the story, this is, this is the beginning of the end of the bloodline. And everybody's saying that the story ends with, you know, Sammy and Roman eventually. But no, I think the story ends the same way the story started, which is Roman and main event Jay Uso. 
So if this ending is specifically meant to continue what you're going to do to get to that end, to ultimately break up the bloodline through that, then I think it, I think it'll make sense further down the line. Mm-hmm. It might not get you, it might not be what you want right this second, but I think further down the line, it's like, Oh, they really are like building this thing out that far down the line. Now I could be wrong. And they could have just been like, yeah, we, let's do it this way. But I think it will play into what happens ultimately with the story. So you're suggesting that Owens and Sammy go over the Usos and win the tag team titles. And that puts more pressure and friction between the two brothers. And eventually Jay costs Roman the match against, against, uh, against Cody costing him the championship and that being the thing that destroys the bloodline from within. I think you could do it that way. Uh, I, I think, I think, that is very much a possibility that Jay will play a part in Roman losing the title. And I think the bloodline officially ends with Roman and Jay Uso and with Jay going over. Uh, I don't know when that's going to be because apparently after mania Roman is not going, it's not scheduled for anything until like the Saudi show. I think there's a Saudi show this summer and uh, SummerSlam. He's not doing it doesn't seem like he's doing any of the pay-per-views. Well, the the thing is, like, the way that they have it structured, um, Backlash, which they dropped the WrestleMania part of that, thank God, Backlash is in early May, and then you have, they're bringing back the King and Queen of the Ring, the King and Queen of the Ring tournament as its own pay-per-view at the end of May, and then they have, uh, and then they have, um, the... Money in the Bank pay-per-view in London, and then they come back for, for SummerSlam. So that's that's the layout for the summer, is King of the Backlash in the States, King and Queen of the Ring in Saudi Arabia, uh, Money in the Bank in London, and then SummerSlam in Detroit. Okay, so SummerSlam is in Detroit, Money in the Bank is in where? That's London? Okay. Okay, uh, from... Reports I heard saw last week. He's I know he's not doing that. Yeah, he's not he's not being advertised for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, which wouldn't you agree that if you're if you're going to take the belt off of him and you're going to pay off this huge storyline, doesn't he kind of have to go away until SummerSlam? I think I think he has to he has to be a backlash. I think you you need a rematch or something in backlash or some I. Him holding the belt for nine, for like almost three years, and then as soon as he loses, he just disappears without a trace until SummerSlam. If he were going to turn, if he were going to turn face, okay, cool. If they still have some some business to attend to with uh, the whole bloodline, he has to show up at Backlash, and they have to kind of like, even if he's not there, they have to carry on the the name of Roman Reigns. Until SummerSlam, where you can do what you want, and if you want to officially end it there, do that. But yeah, to disappear the night of WrestleMania and not come back until SummerSlam with Roman the way he is, like the fact that he has been scarce and he has been so dominant, he until the host until he beat the hell out of Sammy, he he's been a he's been a heel, but he's been their biggest face until that happened. And now people hate his guts, but if you if you put him on the shelf that long, they'll kind of that kind of fade away, and people will be excited to see him again, and he will be a face. You can't let that happen if you still want to continue the storytelling at SummerSlam. But if you want him a face, by all means, you can do that. Because that was always my thought of how this would pay off. The bloodline would be destroyed, and, and the the Jay Uso thing never crossed my mind. It would just be that. Everything would be taken from him. The Usos, I've said for over a year now, that the night that the Russo, the Usos lose the championships is the night that Roman loses his. And so I think both of those things will occur, and I think, thought, think that Cody will go over cleanly over Roman at Mania, and that that would be the end, 
And then you would get the pop that you've been building toward, which is the huge face turn for Roman after this heel turn is over. But if you're you're right, if you're going to do the Jey Uso thing, then you have to have Roman around for at least one more pay-per-view after Mania. And it does seem kind of weird that he would lose and not demand a rematch automatically, given the fact that he's held the championship for three years. But I, but I think the way you get around that is saying that the deal with his family is a bigger deal than the championship. Yeah, I so out of all of that, my what I don't know, I don't know how you handle it is is you see it now when when Jay shows up, Jay's a face, uh, and Jay's gonna be a face. I, well, well, I made feel a, he, made, he made a face turn at the chamber or at, right. at the at the rumble. So the and the the way they've been playing it. Very close to the chest. Jay shows up. He doesn't really do anything. He doesn't really say anything. He just kind of has these indirect actions. But that's going to come to head because, the, I mean, we're pretty much assuming that the Usos are going to face Sammy and, and Kevin Owens at Mania. So how do you get to that? Are they going to go all the way to that with Jay in this phase, in, in, this, in, this, in this phase, with the status of he, he's a face, but he's on the heel team. And... And are they do they want to keep that going until Mania where he has to work the match as a face and then eventually turn like fully turn? And either way, if so, if they plan on keeping him face after Mania and having him interact with Roman in a way that makes Roman lose the title, but want to eventually turn Roman face and him be a super face because he'll be coming off such a long period of being a heel that people eventually came around on but Jay is kind of in that boat too so how do you turn them both at the same time and not have them be like you know I was tripping you were tripping we faced now cool I don't think that's what you want either so I don't know how they do this dance they, they've got a lot of things coming out of this and it'll be interesting to see as we are now less than 40 days away from Wrestlemania uh WrestleMania 39 in, um, was it 30, 37 or 38? Uh, I don't remember. Because I thought it was 39, because I think they, they went to Philly. But I think I think it was 85 was the first one, right? Or was it 84? Uh, I think it's 84. So in that case, it would be, it would be, uh, it would be 39. And then next year in Philly will be 40. And again, you're taking yeah, I think. And again, you're taking a huge gamble there weather-wise, having an outdoor show in the Northeast in in April. It's going to take. What did it? What the last time was it bad weather? Was it cold? It it was it was like in the forties and fifties in New York when they did WrestleMania uh, WrestleMania up there in New York. Uh, That's right, because we were. I would, yeah, I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be awful because it. I think it was really cold right before it, and they lucked out and got it to being like bearable. But they're, if they keep pulling this stuff with outdoor stadiums in the Northeast, uh, I know it's early April, but they gonna fool around and go. They gonna find out. Yeah, the uh, the perk, the uh, disadvantages of no longer running WrestleMania in basketball arenas. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So okay. So next year is forty. Forty in Philadelphia, and if. And if Paul Heyman is not the very first name inducted uh, announced for the Hall of Fame, I will be very upset. Yeah, that would be a mistake. I think that would be a mistake. Uh, they haven't announced any Hall of Famers this go around, have they? They have not, not yet. Yeah, maybe they're just waiting. Maybe they were just waiting for the calendar to turn to March to start pumping people up for that. So, so overall, what grade would you give the Elimination Chamber pay per view on the road to WrestleMania 2023? I think I give it an A minus, and he gets the minus solely because of the uh, the four minute match. Uh, I will say an I will say an A minus as well because of the ending to the main event and just the way that you executed that. I don't I think could have been handled a little bit better. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, but no show is perfect. You know that. Uh, except for WrestleMania 17, WrestleMania 17 is an A plus show, and we all know it. Yes, yes. No, no. No doubts for me. I would very much like somebody to go back through that card and count the number of Hall of Fame members in that lineup, whether they be actual Hall of Famers who are already in 
are just people who should be in or will be in eventually. Like it is got to be one of the more stacked WrestleMania cards in terms of Hall of Famers. I mean, off the top, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, your show starts with a hardcore championship match between Kane, The Big Show, and Raven. <laughs> and it, I forgot about that match. And it ends with Rock and Austin for the second time in three in two in three years headlining WrestleMania. Yeah, that that man, that was a that was a show. That was a show. I know lots of other people like earlier manias, but uh, I think while not my while not my first official mania to watch pay per view, it's the one that stuck with me the longest. I think for for most people, it depends on your generation. Like for for the generation of fans that came before us, it, WrestleMania three is the one that always gets talked about. Silver Dome, right. Andre yeah. the Giant, um, you know that whole thing. For our gener- for our generation, it's WrestleMania 17. Um, you know, I'd assume for the next generation after ours, it would probably be WrestleMania 30 because of the Taker stuff and because of the Daniel Bryan stuff. Um, but again, like 17 includes big off the top of my head, Big Show, Raven, Kane, Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, um, all of the legends that were involved in the gimmick battle Royal, which included Doink the Clown, Sergeant Slaughter, the Iron Sheik, um, just a bunch of different, uh, uh, the Goofy Gobbler, all those were involved in the uh, gimmick battle Royal. Um, It included Shane McMahon versus Vince McMahon. It included Triple H versus The Undertaker. Um, You know, uh, that's a, that's a pretty stacked Hall of Fame list, uh, for for one WrestleMania. Yeah, yes it is. Yes it is. Oh. All right, Chad. Well, that'll about do it for this week's episode of the WWE Universe podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter as we are <laughs> on the road to WrestleMania, I am at BCW Tiger Fan. At the Mets Theory. Thank you very much. And all hail Mark Sanchez, who should be involved in LA WrestleMania. <sighs> no comment. Someone get that man front row seats, please. He deserves it. Again, no comment.